Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. I've got another great episode for you today featuring Eric Diagati and Mike Perry. Today we're talking all about the principles of program design. Before we get to this episode, here's a word from some of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by CTM Band and CTM Recovery Products. These are the exact soft tissue recovery tools that I'm using on myself and with my patients day in and day out. CTM Band was founded by Dr. Kyle Bowling, a sports medicine practitioner who treats professional athletes, and he was a former guest on the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. You can check out his website at the link below and use the coupon code BRAWN10 to save 10% off your order from CTM Band. Eric, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to have you both on today. Thanks for having us, Dan. For people who aren't familiar with Principles of Program Design and everything you guys are doing over on Principles of Performance Podcast, would you mind kind of filling us in a little bit about the two of you and how you all got started on this? I'll kick it off and then and then pass it to you, pass the baton. So uh, unfortunately, this is my second time you know, joining Dan on the podcast. And so- Poor guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so once is lucky, twice is good. I always tell my clients. So, uh, the, you know, the way we the, the way we kind of came about this course is is Mike and I both have somewhat similar backgrounds in that we didn't come with the traditional route to to the fitness world, right? We didn't go and say at 18 years old, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, we kind of fell into it in, in unique ways, and so um, we've spent the last you know, for me, 24 plus years um, in this industry in a lot of different capacities, wearing a lot of different hats. And so one of those has been being a lead instructor for functional movement systems, teaching the FMS system around the world. And that's where I came to meet Mike. And so um, uh, we were down actually during the, the shutdown with COVID and we were down in, in, in FMS headquarters. And we were just talking with some of the, the leadership at, at uh, FMS about some some ideas for continuing education and what they might want to add onto their um, their curriculum. And then so, you know, we we're just talking at dinner saying, well, what's what's the blind spot? What are we missing? Not just in the FMS curriculum, but but just in general, like we go out and teach around the world. And Mike will tell you about his background, not only with FMS, but also with Strong First. But in saying, OK, here's the biggest thing that we notice is that people come in, whether it's they learn the FMS or they learn kettlebells or they take the FRC course or whatever it may be, whatever method course they take is that they would take it and they wouldn't know how to apply it. Like it would be a really good thing. It would be a really cool method, but they had no system to go plug it back into. So they would either do one of two things. They would completely abandon it because it couldn't match up with their, their current session chart or format, or they would just blank out everything they were doing to that point. Now everybody's going to do this from here on in. And so we said, well, let's, let's figure out a way that we can adapt whatever it is that you learn. Well, I don't care. And, and we always say, we don't care for whether it's Pilates or the West side um, method or it's, um, or it's kettlebells on the strength and conditioning side or on the clinical side, you know, Dan, I don't care if you've taken a kinesio taping course or Grassin or ART, we want to give you a system of principles to plug that into that. If you're going to use movement and exercise as your mode of improvement, well, there's some questions you're going to need to be able to answer, to be able to answer, and there's some boxes you need to be able to check. And so we put up together this 
course that's basically a, a series of checklists and we kind of walk you through the journey of everything from day one a client walks through the door all the way down to i'm kind of getting ahead of myself let me <laughs> let me let uh, perry take the floor because i'll go down a rabbit hole and never come out <laughs> yeah we could if we could just get eric to stop talking that's a win um <laughs> no i'm just kidding yeah so uh like eric mentioned uh you know so my background uh definitely wasn't that traditional sort of you know exercise with background i went to school for sociology and i uh, played collegiate soccer and then after for that, um, you know, I decided to, uh, you know, slowly integrate myself into the training world. And uh, I was fortunate enough to, to work at a really, really cool facility where I got exposed to um, various methodologies early on. And, and, and two of the sort of individuals that I really loved, loved learning from and listening to was, was Gray Cook. And, and obviously with the FMS system and Pavel Setsulin, which, um, you know, from a kettlebell standpoint is uh, the guy that really popularized uh, kettlebell training in the U.S. Obviously there were some other individuals, but Pavel's the guy that really uh, put it out there. And, uh, you know, throughout my journey, I just sort of gravitated to, towards those two sort of methodologies and individuals. And then now I get to a point where I'm on leadership for both companies where I get to teach uh, lead instructor for FMS and a senior instructor for, for strong first where I get to go teach barbells, kettlebells, body weight, um, and, and stuff like that. And then in addition to that, I get to lecture for perform better, which is pretty cool. And then I also own a gym in Chelmsford, Massachusetts, and, uh, we've been here for 10 years. So, um, you know, I've had a lot of experience working with various types of athletes and, uh, you know, working with kids, up to professional athletes, Olympians, you name it. But, you know, I think the one thing that Eric and I were really looking into with this whole entire process was um, a lot of people, even if they did know how to put a program together, they didn't, they didn't really have a systematic approach of designing that program. It was more like, well, this looks cool and this looks cool and these look cool together. So let's go from there. So our big thing is, is questioning people. Why? Why did you make those decisions? And why are you doing that? Because I think a lot of people just assume, well, everybody should have a squat. Everybody should have a hinge. Everybody should have a lunge. And yes, those are key components of movement. But at the same time, it's you need to know why you're making those decisions. And a big part of what we do is we run you through, like Eric said, these checklists and these scenarios where we make you think. We, we essentially put you on the spot to defend in a way why you're making those decisions. And, and quite often, a lot of people don't know why they're making the decisions. And maybe they made those decisions because they heard someone else that was maybe a little bit more prevalent or popular, and they just sort of copied them. So it's about understanding the why. And that's a big part of what we're teaching, because anybody can give you a template of plug and play, like here's a press, choose your favorite press, here's a squat, choose your favorite squat. That's easy stuff. You're not learning anything from a decision-making standpoint, you're just selecting your favorites and then throwing them into a spreadsheet. And for us, it's understanding the why, like, why are you making these decisions? And you have to, you have to really look into various aspects of your athletes and your clients' lives. It's not just about, you know, movement prep and what exercises are cool and this and that. It's about actually stepping back and taking uh, a larger look at what's making those individuals tick, finding their why, why did they choose to seek out your services to begin with, but also um, understanding the, the various aspects of their life and making coaches understand that, guys, there's more to this than just Excel spreadsheets. And we found that a lot of people just can't, can't write a program. They really just, they, they threw it together, but they, again, they didn't have a systematic approach. And that is where this thing was born from. Right, right. I like to say that when every action has a purpose, every action will have a result. And I've seen the same thing that you just talked about. A lot of people, whether it be personal trainer, strength coach, or physical therapist, chiropractor, whatever, a lot of people just give stuff to give stuff, right? It's not specific. It's not tailored. 
and it's not really necessarily in a system like you're explaining or outlining there. It's more of just, well, we have a sheet. We need to give exercises. We need to fill up this amount of time, whatever it is. So we're just going to throw things in there that, you know, maybe they pertain to the client goal. Maybe they don't, but you know, it fills, it fills 60 minutes. You know, I can get my $60 an hour or whatever. I can get my four units from insurance, whatever it is. And that's doing the patient, the client, whatever it is, a huge disservice because you're not tailoring your approach specifically to them. And instead, you're just doing things to do them. It's not going to give you the results that you want. I'm curious, you mentioned that you have some kind of checklist that you walk people through to help develop a better system to programming. What exactly do those checklists roughly entail or look like, or what kind of things do you feel people are missing from their programming when it comes to training for general population, athletes, whoever? So we have checklists almost for every section of the course. And the first section of the course that we actually do is we, we challenge ourselves as, as professionals. And, and especially we do this a lot more and, and live course is, is very interactive. And we challenge you to, what we, you know, the expression we use is to get out of your silo. And what happens is for a lot of people, you know, thankfully, you know, you get, you know, where Mike is a, is a super bright guy. He's, he's from the Boston area. So we say he's wicked smart. So um, he, he uh, took a different path than most of us take, right? Where if, if most people say, I, I get to connect with someone like Pavel or Gray early on in my career, then I become one of their disciples. And all I do is just regurgitate what they say and do. And I never look outside of that. And I, I, I get myself in this little silo where I'm comfortable and everything I do has to match that, right? Has to be pushed in through that filter. Whereas um, what we're looking to do is to kind of get you to peek up out of your silo and look in what's in the other ones and not just be this, this uh, isolated specialist, but be much more of, as Kelly Stress says, as a savage generalist. And so we have a, a thing, an interactive thing that's fun. It's called, what's your thing, right? So if you're sitting in the front row, Dan, I'm gonna say, okay, what's your thing, meaning, if someone introduces me to Dan and they say, this Dan, this is Dan, he's a physical therapist and he's a blank or he's an ART guy, right? He's a, he's a, he's a really big into manual therapy or he's a, he's a big into Sarman's work or whatever it may be, you would get that label slapped to you, right? We get this label of being FMS guy slapped to us and realizing that's a piece of what we do of a much broader whole. So then what we do is we say, okay, well, we'll take one thing that someone has and then what we do is we do the Socratic debate, whereas we take you and let's say your thing is um, you love uh, the West Side method or you love, you know, powerlifting. We're going to say, OK, we're going to take you and half the class and we're going to put you on this side of the room. Right. And the other half of the class on the other side of the room. Now, your team, your team is going to now have to what you're going to have to do is give us all the reasons why that thing that you do sucks, why it doesn't work why we should, nobody should ever do it, why it's complete nonsense, while the other side of this room is going to tell you why it's the greatest thing ever, right? And so now what it makes you do is kind of start questioning some of the things we do and the thought processes we have. Um, and then for the person that might have been in the room that, that might have thought powerlifting is, is useless, now they have to defend it. And now they have to maybe get sat outside of their comfort zone and say, well, there actually is some benefit to, to some of those things and building strength and so forth. So you start to see things through a different lens. And so that kind of sets up the framework of the whole course. And then from there, it's just a checklist for every section. And then Mike, you can kind of walk them down the path from, from that point. 
Yeah. So, and I think one of the things that we're trying to do as well in a world of social media where everybody likes to argue behind their keyboards, um, I think we have a lot more similarities than we do differences. And that's one of the reasons why we have that debate, because listen, you're not going to call someone um, a four letter word in front of their face. You may do it behind a, you know, a keyboard, but when you're trying to go to a course and, and gather information, right, hopefully you're there to have an open mind. So, you know, a big part of that is simply, you know, just agreeing that, listen, we all have different backgrounds and we all have different specialties, but within a given context, those are all good things, right? And, you know, the analogy that, that I always use is the GPS analogy. I'm a big fan of the Waze app. And if I'm driving to go visit Eric in Jersey, you know, I will put the address in, I will know my, my starting point and my ending point, but depending on what's going on, there could be five, six, seven different ways to get there. And as long as I get there safely and in an effective fashion, and without an accident, you know what, I'm, I'm doing all right. And I think people forget about that, that there are different ways because people get married to what Eric said, they're in their silos, right? They're like, I'm a kettlebell guy. What if someone comes in and wants to train with you and they don't want to touch kettlebells? Are you still a kettlebell guy? Are you going to tell them no? So I, I think, again, we challenge people to really defend why they have that specific stance. And a lot of the times it's just because they've invested so much money in a given system or a given product, they don't want to actually maybe kind of troubleshoot maybe think maybe this stuff doesn't work as well as I thought and people get upset at that but I look at that as a learning experience but so again we go through and we have checklists on you know again looking at what our favorite things are we look at the evaluation process and we don't just talk about the movement screen everybody thinks we walk around because we work for FMS with kits in our bag and you know you know our favorite you know corrective exercises on tap for everybody no we we actually dig deeper and we learn about people's home life. We learn about their daily activities, other things that they're doing. We actually run through this entire checklist where we ask so many questions because we need more information. The more information that we have on that given, on that given individual, it will allow us to make better decisions from a programming standpoint. You know, one of the things Eric always brings up in the course is, you know, let's say you're working with someone and they're a laborer and, you know, they, they, they're a mason or something. They do brickwork all day pretty sure they don't need farmers carries in their program, right? I mean, those are the things that we have to really think about. You have someone that runs, you know, 70, 80, 90 miles a week. They probably don't need running in their program. So we have to ask more questions and then we have to just be quiet and let those individuals answer because um, it'll give us better insight on what they need and what also what their biases are, right? Because that's a thing that people don't understand as well. And again, it's more fact finding on everything and that will allow us to, to give our clients and our athletes um, better results in the long run. And I'll backtrack for a second here. One of the first things you said was about, you know, online, it seems like people are too caught up in the keyboard ranger game right now. And we pick fights with people over stuff that really doesn't matter in the long run. A long time ago, back in January, I talked with Eric and he had this uh, analogy he called the rocks in the jar analogy, where we get so caught up arguing over what we consider sand in the jar, small things that doesn't really take up too much space as opposed to the rocks in the jar, the big things in life, right? So who cares if sumo deadlift is better than conventional deadlift or vice versa? I know I have a client who just walked in. They were a power lifter for 10 years and they deadlifted conventional. So guess what? If I program deadlifts for them, they're going to get conventional because I'm not going to undo 10 years of programming, 10 years of training a specific movement pattern overnight, right? It's going to take so long. It's probably not even going to be worth it for me to teach him sumo deadlift at that point, depending on his goal. The second piece I really like is that you 
get to the root cause of things, right? You actually look at the entire person instead of just, well, here's what they want to do. And here's a program to get them there, right? You know, if I have someone who walks in and says, yeah, I want to lose 20 pounds, I want to lose 30 pounds, I can light them up with hit or, you know, low intensity, steady state cardio all day long. But if the reason that they're overweight to begin with is the fact that they're sleeping four hours a night and their diet is crap, then I can't magically out train that in the gym. So you have to get to that root cause of whatever it is that someone's coming to see you for. And if you don't, you're never going to make those long lasting impacts or those lasting gains that you need to. I'm curious too, you mentioned that you have a background with FMS, you have the kettlebell background. I know Eric has a background with OnBase U as well. You both have a big background in the realm of assessment. And you mentioned that you don't just walk around and assess and give corrective exercise. Have you noticed that people struggle to connect what they see with where they need to take their program? Or do you think that, you know, a lot of people can very easily connect this is what I see and this is what I'm going to do. Do you think that people need to spend more time on that program creation side? Or do you think people are pretty seamlessly flowing into um, program creation and assessment? Well, I'll, I'll Eric, jump in on take that. This, bud? Yeah, the, the, there's, there's, two, there's a couple problems. And there's a section we have on data collection and interpretation. And the first thing that was most shocking to us is we've done, we did two pilot live courses and then we did one uh, official live course so far. So in doing those courses, when we would ask in the room to say, okay, what are your non-negotiables? Meaning that if I'm going to come in and train with you, or I'm going to get treated by you, Dan, what are the things you need to know about me? Right. And so with that, what are like the key things, your, your, your key evaluations, assessments, you know, things that you need to find out. And we got more blank stares than we did answers, more definitive <laughs> answers. And so like, then it starts to ask us, like, okay, well, how do you even know where your starting point is if you don't have some sort of baseline to go by based on your, your data collection and your, and your testing? Um, so that's, that's the one big thing is, well, they don't even know what the scoreboard is, right? So if you came in and you are that person that wants to lose 20 pounds, okay, well, what's your baseline? Are you going to do an in-body? Are you going to do circumference measurements? Are you going to do calipers? Like, what's going to be your way of knowing you got to your goal? Because if not, we're just, we, we're going, we're just putting the car in drive and going without any GPS, right? And not knowing when we get there. The other big thing is we, we, we have these places, and, and this is one of the big gripes that I hear from athletes, they'll go to these places that are super high tech, and especially because in the baseball world, we get this, where, you know, they'll go to this facility and they'll give this the super in-depth um, evaluation to them. And then they don't, they all, they, then it would get a program and it was exactly the same program that everybody else got anyway. Right. And they yep. never went back and retested. And I think one of the big challenges with testing is we're scared of failure, right? We're scared that we're going to not get the result we wanted that what happens, God forbid that you came in to get faster and I retest you and your speed hasn't changed in two weeks. You're, or you came in to move better and your movement hasn't changed. Whereas I think, and it's, I, I guess somewhat is, is a matter of maturity over years, but I have no fear of, of, of failure with that stuff because if I'm going to check it in, in, an, in a systematic way that if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail fast with feedback, right? And so that way I'm going to know if this isn't working, I want to find out now. I don't want to wait six months and then you have this big retesting day and then we realize, well, nothing really happened. And so that's where I think, um, the data collection and the, and this, the screening and the, in the evaluation is a process that 
that people are very intimidated by um, because they either, A, like you said, they can't connect the dots. B, they, they're scared that they're going to not be able to show uh, information or they don't have a systematic way of even doing their testing to know that like there's certain things that I need to know about you before we even get started. So um, th that's kind of my two cents on the, on the uh, testing thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I like that you brought up that you shouldn't be scared to test again, right? You should be willing to say, I have a great program. I'm willing to find out if it's you know working or not working. And if you find out it's not working within two to three weeks, hey, no harm, no foul, change your approach, right? It's the kind of thing where, you know, say someone comes in and they have tight hip flexors and you found out that they're tight because they have a weak core. You actually got to the root cause of it instead of just saying, well, let's just stretch the hip flexors all day long. And maybe you're doing a plank progression to help strengthen their hip, their uh, core. And you find that that's not really working for them. Well, maybe it's not working because they don't know how to engage their core. And if you test in two weeks, you'll catch that. And then you'll be able to reset, teach them how to engage their core, teach them how to properly brace, feel what you want to feel, and then build back up from there. But if you never test that, you end up three, four week, four months down in, and all of a sudden you realize that you don't have much progress. Or in some cases, maybe you made the condition worse because you're not getting what you want from it. And you just completely ignored that because you weren't willing to uh, test if what you're doing is effective or not. So I like that you're willing to, you know, test yourself. I like that you actually incorporated that into your course as well. You say that, you know, I'm a West side guy or I'm a five, three, one guy or whatever it is. You make people defend the goods of that and the negatives of that. And not many people can do that or not many people can play both sides of that. Right. Everyone will, you know, say, well, this is my approach because it worked for me. And we end up with a lot of people who get, as you mentioned before, biased to their own ways instead of people who can kind of flow through the spectrums of exercise, right? Everything's on a spectrum. Some people are addicted to the barbells and some people are addicted to the calisthenics and you got different things in between. So if you're willing to adapt and think outside the zone that you, know, you yourself have been brought up to train with and you actually can understand different systems and apply different training systems that makes you much more effective as a coach trainer therapist Cairo whatever and it's going to get your clients a lot further and it shows that you actually have true expertise and knowledge of training and you're not just someone who's going to throw the same thing at people and expect the same result right you it, it doesn't work that way you cannot just do the same thing and expect a different result yeah, I think that if there's one thing that I've really noticed about people when it comes to program design and exercise selection, it's, uh, you know, if, you're, if it's like one of those things, if you're constantly searching for the same thing, you'll eventually find it. Um, you know, if, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think a lot of people um, are, number one, unwilling to admit that they wrote a program that wasn't as impactful as they thought it could be. Because I, I tell people all the time when I'm working with them, hey, I'm going to write your initial program, but it's going to take me a few weeks to refine your program because I'm going to give you some exercises that may or may not be beneficial. And that's okay because we don't come with owner's manuals, right? There isn't a concrete way to do things. So I always tell people, it's going to take me a little bit of time to really sort of dial in where we're going to be. And there's going to be some changes made and I may put an exercise in there and I thought it was going to go well and it maybe it didn't go as well as I wanted to, but listen, I'm not biased towards that one exercise. 
Um, like, it's not like I have to put those in and force feed them. And I think that that happens with a lot of people is, you know, they, they only have success in one system. So everybody gets the same system, but really the good clinicians or the good coaches, you know, I always say, we, we want to be able to look at training with different lenses, right? So um, if your background is FMS, well, you're going to have the FMS lens. Well, if your background is PRI, you're going to have the PRI, PRI lens. But if you understand the principles behind all of these various systems, you can actually step back and be like, oh, maybe that is something that I should look into. So, and again, I think the big thing is that is definitely that emotional bias. And I think the emotional bias also comes from the financial bias because they spend so much money on courses and they don't want to be like, yeah, I spent 10 grand on those courses and they suck. Like no one wants to admit that. And it's okay. That's, that's, that's a cool thing about it. Like this is a learning process. And even though you may not take a ton from that system to where you are today, it's still part of your process and becoming a better coach or a clinician. So maybe it's not going to give you a ton of value as to what you're doing today, but it also shaped you as a coach to allow you to make better decisions. And, and maybe you'll just say things like, you know what, man, I did, I spent five grand on that course and it just, it was not worth it. And that's okay because now you, you can make that decision and it's not a blind decision. You actually have the firsthand experience. Right. Right. As you mentioned before, failure becomes part of the recipe for success forward, right? Just because you came up short in one Avenue does not mean all that time or money or whatever was a complete waste. Sometimes that becomes part of your process to move forward. And I like that you brought up the financial side, because one of the things I found about your course, uh, it's a heck of a lot cheaper than most courses I've seen these days. Most courses are like literally a thousand dollars plus and yours is less than half of that, which for, you know, the trainers and that sort of thing who are listening, you have to ask yourself, you know, is what I'm getting going to be worth it? And in this case, you've got two guys that have over 50 years of experience and you're going to get knowledge from them for literally less than half the cost of most other courses. And that alone should speak volumes because, you know, even the course game, some people are in the course game for money because they know, you know, different people will, you know, their companies will reimburse them for it or that sort of thing. And I can walk out of there with, you know, a thousand or $2,000 ahead, whatever. And it doesn't seem like you guys are like that. It seems like you guys both want to make a positive impact and you're not really focused on the dollar amount as much as some of the other companies uh, can be. Yeah. yeah like um, <laughs> even with our preview course, like we put together a preview course for the online thing. And, you know, it was funny because we were looking at trying to figure out the marketing thing. And, and, and Mike and I are coaches at the end of the day. We spend our day, our, the bulk of our days coaching. And so we're talking about marketing things and, and everybody's got, you know, the, you look on social media or in, uh, you know, online, it's either the top secrets to, to better programming. And, and it's like, I suck at secrets. So let's just give a, let's just take our course. I'll take the best, you know, you know, some of the highlights and cut it down to 20 minutes and people could check it out. And if they like what we say, then they'll, then they'll buy the next thing. And if they like that, then they'll come see us live and, and we're going to build on it. We're going to go down. Uh, we're going to make it a little bit We're now we're this big umbrella of principles. We're going to, we're going to make it a little bit more um, refined and, you know, like we have something we're working on specific to adult group fitness. We're going to do specific things to different populations. So it's going to grow, but it's been fun kind of having just, you know, being able to have a, a sounding board like Mike and, you know, to be able to go back and forth and kind of do these different things and share thought processes of how would we do this and keep saying, and, and really what it is, is we, we explained right in the beginning of the course is this is you, this is 50 years of mistakes. 
right? 50 years of us <laughs> screwing this up. And, and I wish I had me to teach, you know, this to me 20, 20 something years ago. So I wouldn't have to go and make all these, these mistakes. So. Yeah. I, and, and I think if there's sort of, you know, one thing that we are really trying to do is, um, is to make a positive impact. And, and we also understand that there's a lot of these young, young, you know, coaches and trainers that, you know, don't have the money to go out there and, and, and drop thousands and thousands of dollars. And, um, you know, for us, it's really about the principles of, of programming. And that's, I mean, that's the name of the course. And, you know, this isn't going to be the only one this there's going to be several other sort of uh, sort of specialty things we're going to eventually work on. But if you do not understand the principles, then you're not going to be able to make better decisions, whether you're working with golfers, whether you're working with baseball players, whether you're working with adults. And that's why we started with this course. It's to, to give people um, the, the information so they can step back and not be so biased towards all these methods and, but understand the principles behind it. And, and one of the analogies that we use in the courses is, uh, you know, weight loss. Everybody with half a brain knows that in order to lose weight, you need to be in a calorie deficit. That's just how it is. Like you're not going to be, there's not going to be too many people that are going to argue about that. Yes, there will be some people because they just like to argue, <laughs> but at the same time, you could be in a calorie deficit with the ketogenic diet, with the intermittent fasting, with the zone diet, with, you know, some sort of primal diet. It doesn't matter. Like whatever you like, cool. But if you're in a calorie deficit, you're going to lose weight. And that's the thing people don't understand is the principle is calorie deficit. The method is whatever worked for you. So when people are like, what do you think of the ketogenic diet? I'm like, cool. What do you think of intermittent fasting? Cool. Like if it works for you, do it. And um, people want, people are searching for the concrete answer. They're searching for the mathematical black and white answer. It just does not exist with human beings. It does not. So that's why we're like, listen, these are the principles. And as long as your methods match up with these training principles and these programming principles, you're going to do okay. Right, right, exactly. And there's room for you to be creative and think outside the box within those principles. It's not to say that, you know, if you want to do overhead stability with an athlete, that you have to limit yourself to barbell and dumbbell overhead work, right? You can get creative and think outside the box. But I think another element to that that you guys hit on from your past experiences is the fact that you've developed programs in the past for athletes specifically, right? There's a big difference between training someone who goes to the gym and wants to build muscle or wants to get into bodybuilding, that sort of thing, and someone who wants to get better throwing a baseball, for example. So I might give a bodybuilder overhead presses with barbells or dumbbells or that sort of thing, but I might give the baseball player something like a 90-90 bottoms-up kettlebell press, or I might give them some kind of external rotation resisted uppercut with a band, and I can do all kinds of different things from that, right? It's a lot more sport-specific than just giving them the same thing over and over and over again. Yes, the barbell overhead press will build strength, and you know you can modify it with the earthquake setup, the bamboo bar, whatever, to give more of a stability demand. But at the end of the day, that's not the same position that the athlete is going to need. And I think that the two of you having the background working with athletes and working with so many different sports like you have 
can kind of intertwine that with your own course and teach people that, you know, there's a better way to do things that matches the demands of sport or life for that matter, right? If you get someone who's maybe a little bit older and they just want to stay in shape, they don't want to fall, maybe they're, you know, osteopenic or something like that. Like you can literally develop a well put together program to help keep people strong, increase bone density, improve balance, all of these things and help prevent the decline that can come with age, unfortunately, but you have to know what life demands they're going to have. And you have to be able to match exercises appropriately to that. Absolutely. So when we talk about checklists, you know, the, the big part that, that everybody gets excited for is, is we have a program builder and a workout builder because workouts and programs are two different things, right? Uh, program is where the magic happens. And the irony is that same systematic checklist, it doesn't matter whether Mike's training one of the, the, the top UFC fighters in the world, or I'm training a professional baseball player, that it's the same system. It's the same checklist, right? We have a 10 point checklist of these are the things that you need to consider in your program, right? And with that, the, there's a hierarchy of what's most important. And then there's also sections that we break it into. So like our top section talks, it, it's the client's goal. It's the client's, it's time, how much time you have to get to the goal, how much time they have to train, as well as um, what are their, their, their special considerations in terms of lifestyle, history, that kind of stuff. All that we say is created by the organism. You don't get to pick that, right? You don't get to pick how many days they train. You don't get to pick what their history was. You don't get to pick what their goal is. So that is what the organism is bringing in. The next section is based on nature. It's based on science. When we look at... Um, your movement and we look at reps and sets and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, or, or, I'm sorry, when we look at exercises that in, in those sort of things, that's kind of based on somewhat on the environment. What is the environment that, that they need to, to be in or that they're training in, right? If I give you the, the greatest workout in the world, but it has all specialized stuff that you don't have in your gym or the, the, the place you're going to, doesn't matter. And then the last things are nature. The nature is reps, sets and all that stuff. That's pretty much determined by physiology, like doing, you know, 20 reps of power cleans just doesn't make sense on any level, let alone I want to develop power, right? Because that's not going to happen doing a, a two minute set. So that's how we kind of, and then we go into the actual writing of a workout with a five point checklist for that, that we call the five F's. And so now what are, it doesn't matter who I'm working with. I just push it up against this checklist and say, okay, am I meeting all of these marks? And if I'm not, that's going to be the blind spot. That's going to be the hole in my program. That's going to, you know, hold us back. Right. I like that you bring that up because at the end of the day, there's certain elements that every program is going to have different. And you mentioned that workouts are very different than programs, but there's certain elements that need to be a commonality amongst every program. So you mentioned that, you know, well, I, I'll take that back. Not every program, but almost every program. So you mentioned, you know, I wouldn't give like 20 reps of cleans to someone. And I, I think a lot of trainers and physical therapists and just that sort of thing that I've seen in my own experience, neglect what we call uh, quadrant one or general physical prep for those who are familiar with uh, Pavel there. So basically we start giving things like the, you know, Olympic lifts, the single event, you know, power lift type um, exercises or a military press or something like that to someone who struggles with doing a basic plank or can't do 10 push-ups, right? So making sure that you walk before you can run, so to speak, and hit the general physical movements before you get into the more advanced um, progressive ones. 
And again, like we've talked about extensively in the podcast, this is not like the specific way you should go. Everyone is going to present differently. And it doesn't mean that you start everyone in quadrant one. Some people might be doing the general physical prep on their own, as you mentioned before. Some people might be doing their own calisthenic program. Some people might be doing yoga or running or something like that outside of your time there. But it's important to make sure that you don't neglect the level one stuff before you jump right to the level 100 stuff. Absolutely. All right, I'll let, I'll, I'll think, let you um, jump in. <laughs> uh, all right. No, I, no, that's fine. So, you know, I think there's a couple things. So I think people don't really understand where they're truly at when it comes to their physical conditioning and their capacity. I think everybody knows where they want to be, but not too many people know where they're actually starting from, right? Everyone sort of uh, has an inflated, well, a lot of people have an inflated idea of where they're actually at, but you know, I, I think what's happened in, in, in the last sort of 10 plus years in this industry, especially with social media, is I think that um, people think that they can hack and, and, and be, you know, biohacking and they can skip steps to get to the end result. And if you look at just kind of how, how we develop, whether it's a physical development or a emotional development or anything, we, th we thrive on progression. The problem is, is for some reason, when it comes to exercise, people think they can skip steps, right? And, and I think that's because of the internet. They think they could just biohack their way through everything. And if you look at sort of how we develop as children, right? We, you know, we, we start sort of in that supine position and then we go to this whole neural developmental sequence. And yes, we crawl before we walk, right? And, and then we walk before we run. But for a lot of people, they skip steps. They think, well, I want to go do CrossFit and do hand cleans. Dude, you can't even... You don't even know what a deadlift is. You don't know what a squat is, but you think that you're ready for exercises that are being showcased in the Olympics. Like this is absolutely bananas. And I think um, the idea of skipping steps is something that seems uh, attractive, but what ends up happening is people usually get injured or they have to go back and fix their work anyway. So I think if you truly want to be um, successful in sort of any endeavor, skipping steps is not the way you have to you have to learn as you go because the journey is where you actually learn the most about that entire, the journey is where you learn the most. And, and that's one thing I, I think people just often misunderstand. So it's like, take your time and, and just slow down a little bit and, and, and earn, earn your right to make that next step. Don't just jump it because it looks cool. Right. I love that. Earn your right. And at the end of the day too, a good coach should be able to help you take any movement and regress it all the way down to the point that you're currently at. So if your goal is to deadlift 400 pounds, but you've never deadlifted a day before in your life, then maybe start with just a basic hinge with a PVC pipe. And then the next step will be take the pipe away. And the next step would be, you know, start adding like a light dumbbell or kettlebell or something and build the entire progression. But um, again, it takes knowledge as a strength coach or uh, expertise, expert or whatever uh, to be able to take a movement and regress it all the way back down to its simplest form that the person standing in front of you can do right now. And I'm willing to bet that you, you, you two might agree with this, that not, not every trainer, strength coach, therapist, chiropractor has the ability, at least right now, to take a movement like that and regress it down to its most basic form. And, you know, we were talking about this the other day. We, we do an Instagram live every, every week. Um, 
that we've been doing for the last couple of months. And we talked about this topic last week of meeting minimums of certain things you should be able to mark, you should be able to hit, whether it's progression of what gets you to do a pull-up or marks that, that we look for from, from a conditioning standpoint. But you know, the, the, the thought hit us both at the same time. It's like, you know what, at the end of the day, we don't really care what's in your program. Like we don't get a kickback or, you know, we don't get nobody, you know, the, the uh, exercise council of the world doesn't send me a, a, a nickel every time I program a, a chin up. Like, I don't care at the end of the day what you do. Like, you know, my goal is to get you to get results. So I have no investment, emotional investment in any one thing in giving that to you. Right. And so that's really where people don't understand that. Like, I, I don't really care what you do in your program. I'm going to find out. And, and we talk about, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of my checklists are three things. I, we, I, I need to know your past. What is what has happened up until you walked in the store, your medical history, your injury history, your training history. I need to know your present. Like Mike talked about, where are you at right now in terms of your movement competency, your body composition, your physical capacities right now? And then the next thing is, what's your future? What do you need this to look like? What environment are you going into? What, what, are, you, what are you gonna ask of your body? Um, and then from there, that's where we kind of build the program. And that's that methodical approach. And, and I always say at the beginning of the course that our goal is, is at least once, if not a hundred times during the course of the day that you stop and say, well, I either one of two things, wow, I never thought of that, or wow, that actually makes a lot of sense. But we get drawn to the shiny objects, right? And, and that's, you know, we've had this discussion about, you know, social media and what we have to compete against. We're, you know, we're all of this, what seems like makes a lot of sense stuff. At the end of the day, we also have to recognize the, the um, you know, the reptilian brain that we all have. And that as much as this all makes sense and, oh, I never thought of that. At the end of the day, we still get drawn to cartoon characters eating organ meats with their shirt off in the middle of the woods, right? That's, that's unfortunately what we're competing against on a daily basis. Right, right. And it's almost like that kind of, for lack of a better way to put it, extreme stuff is going a little bit better for some people. Like they feel drawn to it. They feel attached to it. Like, wow, I've never seen this before. Like this is, this is interesting when in reality, like you could also build muscle with a few basic exercises and a basic progressive overload, at least if you're new and you've never exercised before, right? Start simple. Uh, but it doesn't look as cool, right? And I think that's um, another piece we didn't talk about yet is sometimes programming or sometimes exercises can get a little bit boring or repetitive or redundant. Like I think for the past two or three years, I've done pull-ups as part of my own workouts for, you know, two to three times a week for years. And, you know, that can get a little bit redundant doing the same exercise or a variation of the same exercise over and over and over again, but it matches my goals. I'm, a, I'm able to progress it and overload it as I need, and it matches the direction that I want to go. So naturally, I'm going to keep doing it. And sometimes, yeah, I think outside the box and I throw a new twist on it, a new variation or something like that. But ultimately, it's a very similar exercise over and over and over again. And you don't have to get too fancy with it. You don't have to get overcomplicated with it. You know, I'm sure we've all seen some clip of some guy like literally strapping a weight bench and like three bands and like putting a girl over his shoulders or something like that. And then repping out an exercise before. Right. They make it this big, flashy, showy thing when in reality it doesn't have to be that in order to give you the results that you're looking for, regardless of your goal in the gym. You don't have to 
uh, or in fitness or health or whatever. You don't have to get lost in the fancy sauce that we are seeing online over and over again. Yeah, it's uh, it's entertainment. That's all it is. It's the best coaches in the world that have have a proven track record. Guys that you know, guys like Mike Boyle, Eric Caressi, you know, Gray Cook in the world of PT. Um, it's a lot of the same stuff over and over again, and it's boring. It's absolutely boring. So the question, and I say this to people all the time, are you looking to get results or be entertained? So if you're looking to get results, I can do that for you. If you want to get, if you want to be entertained, go watch a movie or, or go watch these people. Why do you think viral videos are, are so impactful, right? Because it's entertainment. We're not looking at that going like, I've seen, there's this guy, I forget what his name is, but again, he's doing, you know, he's doing weighted pull-ups with benches hanging off of him and people. And it, and the guy's, you know, probably monetizing it like a madman, but at the same time, it's not going to help you with your training. It's entertainment. And I think people need to differentiate it. And that's one thing people do not do is uh, the, 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 the most successful athletes in the world do the same stuff, or it's almost to the point of being bored, but no one wants to see someone doing the same thing over and over again, because it's not entertaining. So social media is simply entertainment. It's, it's, I would, you know, there are a lot of individuals that provide great content, but for the most part, it's simply entertainment. That's all it is. It's, uh, and, and, and unfortunately, people assume that if it's fancy, that it's going to work better. But people just, they want to be entertained and they, they, uh, they enjoy that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But don't be surprised when you're not getting any results because you just keep on doing all these dumb workouts that have no rhyme or reason. Exactly. Now, uh, something that, that I'll, I'll kind of throw in there that we also need to consider is that we're, we're the ones that geek out on this stuff, right? And, and we could spend all day talking about what, you know, putting together case studies and programs is that the, the vast majority of our popu human population is not exercising, right? Especially here in, in the Western world in the US. Like we're just not exercising, right? There's more gyms, there's more trainers, there's more workouts, there's more available for you, for you to, to access and to get fit, to get healthy, to, to, to have optimal wellness. And yet we're the sickest, most unfit that we've ever been as a, as a population. And so our industry really is doing a lousy job of doing it. And so there needs to be not necessarily exercise and entertainment, but there needs to be something that drives people to keep showing up the next day. And your, your number one statistic, the number one metric you can have is does your client keep doing it? And we talk a lot about habits. So we talk a lot about creating buy-in and all those sorts of things and creating awareness. And those are some of the bigger keys that people don't get. Like they did trainers, coaches, they don't understand like that 90% of the world doesn't really give a crap, whether you give a, a trap bar deadlift or whether you do a kettlebell deadlift. They just, they don't care. They want to get it in, get it over with. They just want the results, right? They don't. And so we're investing so much time, again, arguing about that sand where we're missing the point that we need to do something to create a connection. Like even we had this discussion talking about adult group fitness, what Mike has up at skill of strength in, 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 in Massachusetts, he's created an incredible community. He's created, you know, a, a, some, so much, something so much more powerful than I come in and do a, a workout. Cause if all he was doing, coming and do a workout, I can go to F45, I can go to orange theory. I can go to all these places and just get workouts. So why do they keep failing? That's a, just as much a part of program design as anything else is your, your number one success metric is that that person keeps showing up. And if they, don't, if they don't keep showing up, then you've got a problem. And I guess that kind of leads me into another point. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on 
some people in the past that I've worked with have requested every workout be a little bit different because they don't want to do the same thing day in and day out over and over again, as is common with many strength programs. So from your experience, are you two both okay with that? If someone comes in and says, hey, you know, I want things to be different every time. Do you go, yeah, of course, you know, we can, we can, you know, give you a thousand different exercises. We can do five this day, six this day. We can, you know, endless modifications. Or are you more along the lines of, you know, we're going to keep a similar structure, but we can change little things each time. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm actually brutally honest with people when they come through the door because the last thing I want to do is sign them up for something that they don't want. So mm-hmm. I, I explained to them during the consultation process, this is how we do things. And uh, you're right, there are some people that want a ton of variety, but you know, I explained to them, listen, I'm okay with giving you variety with, from a metabolic conditioning standpoint because if, if, with our adult group training standpoint, let's, if we're being brutally honest, adult group training programs are just hopefully really good, well-thought-out GPP. That's all it is. So I always tell people, your strength training stuff is going to be really consistent. Like you're going to see a lot of the same things over and over again, but I'm okay with giving you a bunch of different exercises uh, in your metabolic conditioning, because that's where I'm okay if you do different things. I really am. So for me, that's where I sort of make changes. And that's just a big part of what I do. So, um, and explain to people, as long as it's safe, and as long as they're sort of, they're getting what they want, I'm cool with it. But I'm okay with a little bit of variability with their, with their met cons and stuff like that. But when it comes to strength training, it's, this is how we do it. And we know how to get people strong and I really don't change things up. And, and I think for most people having that variety is is good enough for them. But, and if people are looking to just show up and be surprised every time I just tell them to go to a CrossFit. Yeah. yeah, I I don't think it has to get to the level of like, Hey, I'm going to roll a dice with exercises on it. Right. (laughs) Um, But they're the, the more specific your goal, the more specific your program is going to be. And so if you're just coming in looking for general fitness, then you know what, then I can have a huge amount of variability within there because you don't really care how much your bench press gets to. So we can have five different pressing variations within there. Now, if your goal is um, to, you know, change body composition, which we want to add some lean body mass, well, that's going to come down to number one, your nutrition. And then number two is we're going to put you in a, in a, rep range and a work, you know, a work, uh, rest range. That's going to optimize that. Now, the cool thing with that is like, you can gain muscle, you know, and Andy Galpin just did a, a wonderful job on, on, uh, uh, Andrew Huberman's podcast. So you can gain muscle with anywhere from six reps up to 30 reps. That gives me a ton of variability, right? So right within there, we can have a bunch of, of different variability baked within your program. The only thing that I'm not going to sacrifice variability for is not meeting the minimums first. And what I mean by that is um, if you have really, really lousy shoulder mobility, that limits your menu, menu, right? Um, Mike does a great job of talking about this in a section of the course, talking about narrow, uh, about having driving down narrow lanes, right? So if if you're driving down a super narrow lane, the slightest mistake, you're going to crash into stuff, right? And so if someone doesn't have a good uh, foundation and they don't have a lot of resiliency built within them and don't have a really robust physical profile, their, their lanes are pretty narrow. And so their selection is pretty, is pretty uh, simple. Whereas the more resilient and the, the, the better their movement competency and their physical capacity gets, the wider your lanes are. And we can get a little bit more adventurous, but that's really not going to be determined by me. That's going to be determined by you. Um, and so I say, if you want to have more exercise variability, you got to move better. You got to get better physical capacity. So 
um, check those boxes first and that and that opens up the menu and you can go from a menu that looks like you know uh, you know you go into to a, a, the, the, a, a pizza place that serves pizza and pizza and it's just a matter of a couple different toppings or you could go to the cheesecake factory where it's an encyclopedia uh, of, a, of a menu right so that really is determined by the person that's not so much determined by me because I need to make sure you hit certain minimums right I love that you bring that up and the biggest thing I think a lot of people forget, and again, this is my own experience, a lot of people forget to look outside of the sagittal plane. So when we assess and when we give exercises, it almost always comes down to forward and back, right? Squat, step up, or lunge, like forward lunge, backward lunge, bench press, overhead press, pull up, row. It's all forward and backward. And then as soon as you look in the frontal plane or uh, transverse plane, all of a sudden the motion is a lot less than what we desire. And I, I think it is essential, as you said, and as we talked about earlier, you have to hit that movement minimum. You have to hit that general prep because if your body can't move in multiple planes, then it is going to be a recipe for disaster. And that, that's another thing that kind of pertains to a lot of different goals, right? If I have an athlete or a, a fitness influencer, whatever term we're using these days, um, who has trash uh, rotator cuff strength, right? I might not pick that up with a simple like overhead shoulder flexion type pattern, but I would certainly pick it up with internal external rotation. But how many people are looking at internal external rotation of the shoulder before we start giving bench press, right? So it's again, getting to the root cause like we talked about earlier and making sure your program design gets to the specific things that that athlete needs or that individual needs. And as we've talked about at length, I think you guys have done a great job at kind of setting the stage for people to recognize what they know, recognize what they don't know, and start filling in the gaps to individualize a program towards the person sitting directly in front of them and picking up on those things that might go overlooked otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot more that goes into it. And that's really the goal of what we're trying to do is, is to educate, um, you know, younger trainers, but also trainers that perhaps have been stuck in their habits and, you know, saying things like, well, this is how we've always done it. And, uh, you know, that can be a barrier to, to learning. Right. So there's always opportunities to learn. And, and, uh, even as we, you know, we've done this course, we've, we've, we have our online course, we're still making changes every time we teach because we're going, you know what, I, I think this works better, or maybe we should add this instead and take this out. It's an ever evolving process. And I think that's, uh, as a coach, I always, I always, when I'm working with younger coaches that are asking me questions, I say to them, Hey, listen, 80% of what I do is I'm going to stick with, but that, that 20%, that, that last 20% is always constantly evolving. You know, and that's something that I believe in is, is if the meat and potatoes are there, cool, you can change the seasonings and you can, you know, change some of the other sides, but know that your principles are, are firm and sturdy. And then you can start sort of playing with some of the other smaller components that, um, you know, will allow you to give your athlete a little bit more specificity based off of their goals and needs. For sure. The other thing, the other thing I would add is, is that we talk about, there's this kind of four primary quadrants that we, we address this to. And the easiest one is the one-on-one -on -one fitness. And, and that's the easiest lane to be in where the one or even the next layer would be the one-on-one -on -one athlete. They need a little bit more specificity. But we also have to talk about how do you handle groups? Groups like I deal with in, in, in a 
athletic setting. I'm going to see two high school teams this afternoon or groups like Mike sees in the, in the adult group fitness realm. And how do we program off of that? And really teaching you more about being a problem solver. You know, I had an, an interesting experience last night where a guy who I've worked with over the years just got a new job at a, at a uh, pretty big high school uh, um, football program in the area. And then we had a coaches meeting last night and talking about how are we going to, you know, you know, what are the things we need to do? Because we're on really short notice because his practice is going to start in a couple of weeks and realizing to say, OK, if I came in, you know, barrels blazing like I might have done 20 years ago and say, well, here's all my methods and all my things that we need to implement. It, it would have just completely got me pushed out of the room. Right. And so when they said, well, what do we got to do? What are we going to you know, what's the you know, what's the lifting going to look like? And I said, look, we have to work backwards here all right december we want to be playing in a state championship right that's the end goal of all this and so i need to find out what have they done until this point and the guy says well they've been doing really good stuff they do bench and squat and clean all right great well even if those numbers are off the roof and they had you know through the roof and they have a great record board up that doesn't necessarily equate to winning state championships all the time right and so um, we have to look at what are the things that you don't have, right? What are the things that are, and the number one thing is we got to make sure we got to do everything in your possible to make sure you actually have a team to, to field in December. So we have to do whatever we can do. Are you doing every possible thing actively to keep your team healthy? That's number one. <clears throat> number, uh, next thing we have to look at is, you know, are you meeting the demands of the sport? All right. They're not rolling benches and squat racks out into the field. So are we meeting demands of the sport? and fill in the gaps there. And then even bigger than that on a macro level, say you have to teach them a whole new system. They have to get accustomed to new coaches. Time is going to be a significant issue. So I can't do all the things that I want to do. Would I love to be able to go in and bring in a staff and put movement screens on everybody? Would I love to be able to go and set up, you know, VBT monitors on every single rack? Would I love to be able to do all this? That would be awesome. That's not reality. And what we're trying to teach you to be the problem solver is say, here's the situation, here's reality. Whether it's, this is a high school football team and this is a situation you have to put together, or this is a, a woman who comes in and we have, a, we have case studies we do. And we have, here's a woman who comes in, who's a, who's a mom, who's a business person, who's a very active person, but she's got these structural issues she's working around. This is her fitness goals. This is her time restrictions, figure it out, right? And most of the times that doesn't fit into the nice little, you know, format that we were given in, in school or we were given in, in our weekend certification because, you know, those are built around people that are perfect and ready and willing to work out and they're going to stick with your program. We're, we're kind of teaching a little bit of the reality of how to be a problem solver. And we go through your case studies. We're brutally honest with people where we break into groups and, you know, especially in a live course, break into groups, say, all right, write a program for this person. And then we say, well, you missed all these things. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? You didn't put this in there. You gave her this and she specifically can't do that. Like, and really kind of getting people to, to get challenged in, in their process to say, this isn't as simple as just throwing a bunch of exercises and reps and sets together. This is not a plug and play template thing like Mike talked about. This is challenging to say that you're, most of the things that I've screwed up over the years is because I missed something. And we're going to make sure you don't miss anything. Eric, Mike, this has been an amazing discussion about all things relating to program design and your course and your own past experiences relating to strength and conditioning. Do either of you have any closing thoughts or closing remarks that you want to mention? Be curious. 
I think that's uh, that's something that uh, someone said to me early, early on and, and be willing to poke holes in what you do. Um, look at what you do, then look at what other people, uh, look at what other people do and, and see how things are different because listen, success leaves clues. So don't be afraid to poke holes in your own system and, and, and figure out ways to do it better. And um, so many people are just concerned about being right. And honestly, like it doesn't matter if you can argue a little bit better than someone on the internet, like what matters is the people who are paying you. So take your time, um, do your due diligence, um, check those boxes, create systems and checklists. And obviously that's what we do within our course, but it's just going to take time. And if you're passionate about making a difference in someone's life, you're, you're going to be willing to put that work in to become a better coach or a clinician. So the, the, the longer I've been doing this, the more my two favorite answers are, I don't know. And it depends, right? So Dan, you call me tomorrow, say, could you put together a program for me? I want to have this goal of body composition or this goal. I want to accomplish this athletically. What are we going to do? I don't know. Okay. Well, are we going to do Olympic lifts? I don't know. Right. Well, we're going to be doing a lot of any hit work and it, I, I don't know. Until I know kind of a little bit more about you, I'm really just guessing. And if you want me to give you just a workout, well then go, go on YouTube, go on, you know, you get that for free on, on social media. If you just want a, a, a plug and play workout of the day, I don't do that. And then if you ask me the question about any of the things you say here, well, is, or any of those things good? It depends, right? Olympic lifts are great, but I don't put them in with my high school programs because I'm not there every day to teach and monitor those things. And I can't trust that, that the offensive line coach that's going to actually be there and monitor the workout knows how to correct and oversee and teach those things. So it's not, doesn't take away the value from where the value from that, but it depends on that given situation. So those two questions, those two answers are the, the more comfortable you get in your own shoes as a coach, as a trainer, as a therapist, a clinician is I think something that really draws people to you. At first I would scare it as a young, as a young trainer, as a coach to say, I don't know. Right. Cause that's going to make people think I'm not good enough. The more I say, I don't know, the more, and the less I say, the more confident our people are with me. And so that, that gets expressed. So, um, and that comes from having the reps and having to know that I have a system behind me that's going to catch any of my misses. For sure, for sure. Developing that system or taking your course and learning from the systems that you've built for other people to benefit from. Speaking of which, where can people find out more about the two of you and where can people find your website to sign up for your course? So it's ours is the course and, and, and our, our joint venture together here. It's principlesofprogramdesign.com. You can follow us. We're Principles of Program Design on Instagram, on Facebook. We're PPD uh, Education on, on Twitter. We don't do a whole lot on Twitter, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, those, are, those are the two big two. On our uh, website, you can also, like I said, check out our, our free preview course for the online course. Um, and then individually, you could reach me at ericdagati.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-G-A-T-I.com, and all my social media is on there as well. And then uh, Mike has his stuff as well as his Skill of Strength stuff is, uh, to tell you about. Yeah, so our gym is called Skill of Strength, and uh, you could find us at skillofstrength.com. We're located in North Chelmsford, Massachusetts. Um, my, the best way to sort of look at what I'm doing is probably Instagram at Coach Mike Perry. And uh, that's where um, we do a lot of our talks and where I put a lot of my content, but you can also check out skill of strength on, uh, on Instagram as well. 
and occasionally I'm on Facebook, but those are probably the best, uh, best places to find me. Awesome. Well, really appreciate all of your expertise and knowledge and great seeing both of you guys. Thank you, Dan. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you like this episode, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and share this episode with a friend who you think would enjoy hearing it. Additionally, if you want to help support this podcast and keep future episodes going, please check out our links below where you can support us directly or through engaging in any of our affiliate marketing links. Last, please make sure you check us out on social media at Braun Body and leave a five-star review, especially if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify.